Father in heaven, thank you so much again for Sabbath mornings. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that we could wake up and enjoy your presence. And Lord, we sense your presence extremely strong this morning. There's just something special about this Sabbath, God. And I'm just reminded because during the middle of the week, the prayer team was praying for this Sabbath. And God, we just want to pray and ask that you would bless us, you would feed us, and God, you would pour upon us your Holy Spirit. We desire a message from heaven. And we pray, Lord, we would not leave this sanctuary the same that we came into it. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, just want to give you a reminder. If you are missing prayer meeting, you need to come out. God is doing some special, special things. We've been told that prayer meeting is the pulse of the church. And if we haven't had prayer meeting for three years, Lord have mercy. But praise God, He can resurrect the dead. Amen? God specializes in that. Well, I'm going to share something very interesting with you, an email that I got. It's a very interesting email. Some of you guys may have received a similar email. Oftentimes, this kind of email goes into the junk box. Anybody have emails like that? They get about three or four a day. It goes right into the junk box. Well, this email that I looked at was so interesting that I had to share it with you. Urgent attention beneficiary. I am Special Agent Mark A. Morgan from the Federal Bureau of Investigation Field Intelligence Unit. We have just intercepted and confiscated two trunks at John F. Kennedy International Airport in Jamaica, New York, New York 11430, coming from a foreign country. We cross-checked the contents of the boxes. This is... I mean, these people have imaginations. And found it contained a, tums, a sum total of $4.1 million. Also with one of the trunks were documents with your name as the receiver of the money. As we progressed in our investigations of the diplomat which accompanied the trunks into the United States, we learned that he was to deliver, deliver these funds to your residence as a payment of an inheritance or winning, which was due to you. Further checks on the consignment we found. Now this gets really interesting. We found that the consignment paperwork lacked the proof of ownership certificate and legal delivery permit clearance certificate forms. We then confiscated both trunks and released the diplomat. The trunks, according to Section 229, Section 31 of the International Commerce Regulators Code and legal delivery permit clearance certificate from the joint team of Federal Bureau of Investigation of Homeland Security was missing. Therefore, you must contact us for direction on how to procure the two certificates so that you may be relieved of the charges of evading tax, which is a jailable offense under Section 12, Subsection 4410 of the Tax Code. We will also be asking the IRS to launch an investigation of money laundering <coughs> if you do not follow our instructions. You are therefore required to contact, with me seven, to, with, to contact me within 72 hours of this email. At this point, I will walk you through the process of clearing and claiming the money. Failure to comply may lead to your arresting, interrogation, and you being prosecuted in the court of law for tax evasion or money laundering. You are advised also not to contact any bank in Africa, Europe, or any banking institution whatsoever. Yours in service, Agent Mark A. Morgan, Regional Director, Federal Bureau Investigation. I received this email about a week ago. I have not been prosecuted, subpoenaed. I have not been visited by any authorities yet. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason why I share this with you is because we really do have an inheritance. 
This isn't some fake email that God has given to us. But He has truly promised each and every one of us eternity. Can you say amen to that? And this is something that doesn't go into the junk pile. God wants us to realize that we have something very special in store for us. The Bible says, I has not seen. In other words, there is nothing we have seen that compares to what God has for us. The Bible says, ear is not heard. There is nothing that we have heard in human vocabulary that can define or describe heaven, nor has entered into the heart of man, the Bible says, those things which God has prepared for those who love him. The Bible says, there is nothing that we can even come up in our imagination that compares to what heaven is truly about. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the best ways we can be prepared for heaven is the Sabbath experience. Amen? The Sabbath experience is the best preparation for heaven. And as we commune with God today, I believe God is going to share with us his purposes and his plans. Can you say amen to that? Well, the name of the sermon today is called Nazi Hunter. If you go out onto the board, it sounds like Nazi Hunter and El Kanda. It is not Nazi Hunter and El Kanda, it is Nazi Hunter. This is a very interesting message. I want to share something with you, something I've been just doing some uh, study into just over the course of the last few months. There is a very unique history that took place right after World War II. Oftentimes when we think of World War II, we think of the Holocaust and the concentration camps and we think of Adolf Hitler and we think of all the atrocities that took place during World War II. In fact, when the Allies were actually closing in on the Germans, what they began to do was try to uh, hide any evidence of the Holocaust. And so it was during those last few months, unusual things began to take place. This is one individual. His name is Adolf Eichmann. He's a very interesting individual. If you go into very uh, like articles written about him, he is called the architect of the final solution. The final solution was what what the Germans came up, the Nazi party came up, and that was to completely exterminate the Jews, burn their bones, do away with any, um, any evidences that they had done any evil to them. This was part of Hitler's plan. And so Adolf Eichmann was actually what was considered, was called the architect of the final solution. He had mass organizational skills. This individual was also responsible for the transportation of the Jews to these concentration camps where they would be gassed to death. Now what is so interesting is that right after World War II, when the Allies had completely taken over the area, many Nazi high-ranking officials actually escaped. And you know where they fled? They actually fled to Argentina. In fact, the reason why they fled to Argentina was because the ruler or the leader at Argentina at that time was, had actually had German blood in him and he was actually sympathetic towards the Nazi parties. So when um, the Mossad and several intelligence agencies actually found many of these Nazi leaders, they found them in Argentina with new identities. So when it comes to this guy, Adolf Eichmann, Adolf Eichmann, you can just think about all the, the crimes that have been, uh, just he's been accused of and that he was guilty of. And so after World War II, a little bit about his story, he actually was captured by Americans and put in a POW camp. 
He changed his name. When they asked him what was his name, he said, my name is Otto Eichmann. He escaped. He, from there, he went to Italy and through the International Red Cross during that time that was actually helping a lot of Nazis escape. It was because of the Catholic Church that was operating at that time. And what they were doing, they were helping many of these officials escape. And what they did, because of a certain pass in Italy, they were able to evade Allied forces. And they took a boat all the way to Argentina, where they took on new names, new identity, and new employment. And so after that took place, after World War II, there was sort of this... um, you can say this uh, spirit that, people, that the Jews were worried about. Many of the Israelis were worried about, and they were worried because they thought that the world would forget what just took place. After World War II, uh, the Allies were dealing with various issues. But these leaders, many of them got away. And so the Mossad, which was the Israeli, the beginning, you can say the beginnings of the Israeli Central Agency, Central Intelligence Agency, what they did is they launched a campaign to capture many of these Nazi leaders. And they caught many of them. It's very interesting. This individual story is a a very interesting story about how they actually caught Eichmann. They found him in Argentina. They were given a tip by somebody else that he was actually in Argentina. He had changed his name to Ricardo Clement. New passport, new identity, and new employment. And so when the Mossad was, there, was, uh, was just sort of uh, coming up with this plan to capture many of these escaped Nazi officials, they committed themselves to finding every one of them. And so this ragtag team of Mossad agents got together and they committed their resources, their lives, everything to capture these people. In fact, what is so interesting, several of the Mossad agents were former concentration camp survivors. So you can imagine that they had a a, a vendetta that they wanted to get back. And so they, they called this campaign the Nomic or the Avengers. Very interesting. And so as information about Adolf Eichmann begin to take play, uh, begin to be released, the Mossad agents, 11 of them, flew all the way from Europe and they, they went to Argentina. But they had to be careful because of the Argentinian government at that time. It was illegal to take some of its, to take its citizens and bring them to another country um, without, without their choice. And what was very interesting was that when they began to do some reconnaissance on Adolf Eichmann, they discovered he had completely blended in with his environment. He was living in an area where there was a lot of German refugees. And so it wasn't always easy, and this was around the 1950s, so some time had passed, about three or four years. And he had changed his identity. There's actually a picture of him. He's wearing a poncho. And he was integrated into that area at that time where there were a lot of Germans. The Mossad had to be very careful. So these 11 agents, they began to spy out, um, they began to spy out Ricardo Clement. Very interesting. They actually, what they did, and this is actually, they made a movie called The House on Garibaldi Street. You might have heard of it. It's an older movie. They began to spy out a certain house. And this house was in the middle of a field, and it was a chicken farm. And there they begin to watch and see and just observe this very interesting man. 
In fact, what was interesting, when they thought it was him, they actually, one of the people, took a bag and they actually had a little camera, okay? And they took a little camera and they walked up to this man, Ricardo Clement, and they weren't completely sure this was Adolf Eichmann, but they had an idea. And they said, hey, we're just looking to buy some property here. And what the agent was doing, he began to take pictures of Adolf Eichmann. And here are actually the pictures right here. Take a good look at that right there. And you can see how much that time has changed Eichmann during his Nazi uh, term. And there he was right there. They were taking pictures of him. And just as they were talking to him about the land, and they were able to make an identification, guess what? By his ear by his ear they took a good look at his ear and it's hard to see in uh, this picture right here but they looked at his ear and then they looked at a picture of him when he was younger and they made the identification but this ragtag team of Mossad agents were still not sure and so as they begin to spy on him, they decided now is the time. We don't have a lot of time. We need to capture him because they knew there was one flight that was coming for Europe, landing in Buenos Aires, and they knew they had to get him. And so as time was running out, he was walking to a bus stop and they like James Bond agents, but they were not like James Bond agents. If you look at some of the pictures, they're these little skinny guys just like this. And they grabbed him. Some of them were really old too. They grabbed him and they stuffed him inside a car. And there they raced to a safe house for about two or three days and began to interrogate him. And within just like 15, 20 minutes, he admitted his identity, who he really was. But they had a big problem on their hands. They didn't know how to get him out of Argentina at that time. There was only one flight, and they were just betting upon that one flight. And so in their group, they had different field agents, including one who was a doctor. And so they said, how are we going to get him out? How are we going to get him out? They drugged him. And they dressed him in uniform. And as they made their way to the airplane, they were just walking around like this. And as the, the airport began to say, Who, what's going on over here? They said, oh, this is our friend. He just had a little bit too much to drink, you know? They actually did that. They got him on the plane. And as the plane was about to take off, they were about to be so happy and finally relieved, ready to head back. All of a sudden, they, someone comes on the radio and says, we need you to stay grounded. They were so afraid. They waited, and the pilot, who was one of the agents, says, I'm going to have to get off. I'm going to go talk to them. They're making us stay here. Something's going on here. And so as he went, they told him, if you do not come back in 10 minutes, we are just taking this plane, and we are heading off. So he came back. He was talking to those guys. He came back and just said, we just forgot to fill out one of the files. It's okay. We filled it out. We're good to go. And as they're about to take off, all of a sudden, they get another radio announcement. Please stay where you are at. We need to board the plane for it. We need to check the passengers. And they were so afraid. And so what happened is, as these Argentinian officials began to walk on the plane, they're walking near him, and they noticed he was just out because they had drugged him, and he was just out there, and he was just in uniform, and one of the other soldiers, agents, was right next to him. And as they were looking, they said, what's wrong with him? And said, ah, oh, he just had too much to drink. He partied with the girls. You know what's going on here. These are soldiers. And he looked at him. And he said, okay, it's fine. And he continued walking, checking the rest of the plane. And they took off. And as soon as that plane took off, they, they were out of there. 
out of there. They actually landed in Europe, and they were able to reign in before trial. At the, they continued the Nuremberg trials. The Nuremberg trials took place right after World War II to try all the Nazi officials, but they reconvened, actually had another session for Adolf Eichmann right there. That is his picture right there, ladies and gentlemen. This Nazi um, individual, this Nazi soldier was captured, and he was put on trial. In fact, when you take a good look at some of the agents that captured him, as I said before, these were not James Bond, buff-looking, good-looking agents that were out there dressing with, like, you know, guns that were coming out of the wrist. These individuals just a ragtag group of people who dedicated themselves to capturing every one of them, especially Adolf Eichmann. They were intent on capturing them. And so they said, we're going to dedicate our time, our resources, our money, and our lives for this mission. They were told that they may, some of them may not make it back if they were captured. But they were committed to this mission. And they knew they had to bring this man to justice. They had to bring him to justice. In fact, what is so interesting, when you take a good look at the Bible, you find that there was a group of people who were committed to a mission. Everybody take your Bible and let's go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. You're going to see something very interesting in the Bible. The Bible describes a special time where a group of people were given a very special mission. We're going to Mark chapter 3. Oh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 3. Thank you. I appreciate that correction. (laughs) All right, Mark chapter 3. Starting with verse 7, page 970. Are we all there? Amen. Let's see what the Bible says right here. Mark chapter 3, starting with verse 7. But Jesus withdrew his disciples to the what? Sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem, and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should what? Crushed him, crushed him. So notice this, all these people, thousands of people begin to throng Jesus. And as they begin to just surround Jesus, uh, Jesus was actually concerned. And he said, wait just a second. He told his disciples, get a little bit of, get a boat out here just in case. Because this multitude is pressing me in. I may actually be crushed here. That many people wanted to be around Jesus. But there was little regard for his actual life. You see, these people wanted something from Jesus. They wanted Jesus to do something for them, which is not wrong. And as this great multitude came, look what the Bible says next. Very interesting. Verse 10. For he healed what? Many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. Jesus is heaven. Amen? And when Jesus came to earth, heaven came to earth. And what heaven is, heaven is a place of healing and restoration. And so as Jesus was there, it was like heaven. And people just being in the presence of Jesus were experiencing heaven. They were drawn to him. And as they were coming into his very presence, touching his garments, they were healed of their afflictions. And you can just imagine all the other people trying to make their way through because they wanted, they wanted help. Let's see what happens next. Verse 11. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out saying, You are the what? Son of God. But watch verse 12. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him what? 
No, notice this. This is a very important part, ladies and gentlemen. Here, as Jesus is healing these disciples, these demons are trying to prematurely expose the identity of Jesus. If there was anybody or any creature at that time who knew more about Jesus, who was on earth, it was these unclean spirits. Because these unclean spirits were once angels who worshipped at the throne of God. And so they knew who Jesus was. And as they were being, as these people were being healed, these demons in one last jab, they said, everybody look, that's the son of God. They were prematurely trying to expose the identity of Jesus. You see, Jesus understood people's minds. He knew where people were at and he was trying to lead them to a better understanding of his mission, of his character, of his identity. But many times the people were not ready. Ladies and gentlemen, this brings us to a very important point. Were those demons lying when they were saying, you are the son of God? But was it bad that they were telling the truth? This is something for us to understand, ladies and gentlemen. When we give truth at the wrong time, we may be doing the devil's work more than we are God's work. That is why we need to be praying for discernment and timing. Can you say amen to that? But this is not what we're even trying to get through. Let's keep going. Verse 13. He went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself what? Wanted. And they came to him. He appointed what? Twelve that they might be with him and that they might send him out to what? To preach, to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bogenerus, with that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite. He wasn't actually a Canaanite, but he lived in the region where there were um, the Syrophoenicians, but they called him the Canaanite. Let's see what happens next. And Judas Iscariot, who also what? Betrayed him. And they went into a what? house. You see, when Jesus needs to organize the church, he realizes the spiritual battle is getting more intense. The demons have come up with a new strategy, and that is to try to stop the ministry of Jesus by prematurely exposing the truth. And so Jesus realizes we're now in the thick of spiritual battle. He says it's time to make some soldiers. And the Bible says he gets up on the mountain and he calls these 12. And the Bible says he appoints them. The word appoint is the word ordained. He ordained them. He says these 12. Now this is very interesting. The Bible tells us he called them to what? Himself. We begin to understand that these disciples at this very moment were given a very special calling. A very special what? Calling. Ladies and gentlemen, many times, many times, and this is something we need to understand, we neglect our calling. We neglect our what? Calling. A special appointment that God has given to each and every one of us. But the question that we should answer first was, what was the purpose of why he called them to himself? Let's see what the Bible says. Go back to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Take a good look at verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to what? Preach. Look at verse 14 one more time. Then he appointed 12 that they might what? Be with him. 
What was the very first purpose of this calling, ladies and gentlemen? Now, this is so important. The reason why Jesus was calling these 12 disciples was that they could be in a very special communion with Jesus. That was the primary purpose of their calling was that they could be in a special connection with Jesus. Jesus wanted to bring his disciples closer to himself, and he knew that as they participated in the work of God, they would be brought in a very special way, even closer and closer to God. Amen? In fact, we know we studied at the Young Adult Bible Study last night, we studied a story in the book of Luke where Jesus actually talks about the woman named Mary, and he says, those who are forgiven much, what? Those who are forgiven much, what? Love much. Ladies and gentlemen, who do you think will most represent the character of love in the entire universe besides God? Those who have been what? Now let me ask you a question. When you think of all the races that God has created, which creatures will possess more love than any other creature in the entire universe? The human race. Why? Because they have been forgiven much. Humanity knows about forgiveness. That's why they, out of all the creatures that God has created for all of eternity, will understand the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of God's love. And it will flow out of them for all of eternity. Can you say amen to that? But I want you to pay attention to this. The first reason why Jesus called the disciples to himself was because he wanted them to what? Be with him. In other words, brought into a special connection, a union, a communion with God. Now watch the second thing. Verse 14. And that he might send them out to what? Preach. The second reason why God called these disciples was that they might be able to spread the good news. Can you say amen to that? They would be able to reach the entire world. So those two reasons, we begin to understand why God called them. It was for these two reasons. Number one, that they might be brought into closer communion with God. And the second reason was that they may be able to spread the gospel everywhere. In a world of confusion and darkness that Satan was trying to cause, even in the midst of Israel, God would appoint these 12 disciples who would be able to share the goodness of God with clarity. Can you say amen to that? And this is what is so powerful, ladies and gentlemen. The same calling that God gave to the disciples, he has given to each and every one of us. To be with Jesus and to preach the gospel. Can you say amen to that? In fact, right after he does this, Satan launches a counterattack. Right after he does this, the, parent, the, the mother and the brothers of Jesus say, we want to talk to you. And then his own people say, you're out of your mind. And then the Pharisee says, he's of the devil. Right after this takes place. Why? Because Satan knew he was about to lose ground. So he had to come up with a counterattack. Ladies and gentlemen, but we see something so special here. We see the calling that God has given to these disciples and we begin to understand something about our lives and that is God has a very special calling on us. Can you say amen to that? In fact, everybody take your Bible. I'm going to show you something very powerful. Take your Bible and let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10. And ladies and gentlemen, what is the purpose of our calling? Number one, to what? To be with him. And number two, which is what? 
to preach the gospel. Let's see what the Bible says. In 2 Peter, verse 10. Are we all there? Therefore, brethren, be even more what? Diligent to make your what? Call and your what? Election. The word election means choosing what? Sure. For if you do these things, you will never what? Stumble, for an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? The Bible's admonition is that we need to make sure about our what? Calling. Like God wants us to examine it, that we would understand. Because if we do and follow the things that God has said to us, there will be an entrance given to us where? In heaven. Now, ladies and gentlemen... It's time we do a little bit of examination right now. And that is this. There is a big difference between your career and your calling. Can you say amen to that? Some people think that their career is their calling. And some people, some people, ladies and gentlemen, think that the only way, the only purpose they're going to ever be able to fulfill is their career. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand there is a big difference between your career and your what? Calling. I want to read something to you. People have been successful in their careers, but they have failed in their calling. That means if you have made it to the top, ladies and gentlemen, you are successful in your work environment. If you have done this and you have failed in your calling, ladies and gentlemen, you're in big trouble. This world teaches us that we need to be successful in our careers, which is good. As long as as it plays a part in our what? Our calling. And if our career impedes upon our calling, we're in big trouble. The purpose of the career is to lead you to fulfill your calling. Now, just to elaborate a little bit more, the difference between your calling and your career. Steve Harvey Comedian says this, a career is what you are paid to do. A calling is what you were made to do. Amen? A career is what you work for. A calling is what you are given. A career reveals what you do. A calling reveals who you are. My friend says this, career is how you spend time in order to make it in this life. Calling is how you invest time in this world for eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, have you been more successful in your career or your calling? Have you put more time and energy in your career and have neglected your calling? Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling you back to examine your calling. Many times as Adventists, we know about success. God has blessed his church. God has blessed his church everywhere. But the purpose he has blessed this church for was to lead people to fulfill their calling. But instead, their careers have become their calling. And they have neglected the two essential elements of the calling, which was to be with Jesus and to preach the gospel. Now, I know in this world, we have 
A lot of people who do this and praise the Lord. But ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest heart desires I have is to see our people become more and more recognized for who they are more than just what they do. You know what I mean? Let me just elaborate a little bit more. Speaking about our doctors, we have a lot of doctors who have the Adventist religion. But do we have people, doctors who are recognized as Adventist doctors? Now this is a very interesting point. Now if you're paying attention, you understand what I'm saying. We have a lot of people in employment and they will be recognized because this is where the church, the church they go to. But they are not recognized as a Christian. Like there should be more Christian lawyers, more Christian doctors, more Christian warehouse people. In other words, when people see you, they ought to know that brother is a Christian. Instead, they just know he has a Christian religion. Ladies and gentlemen, in fact, Ravi Zacharias, he was talking about how he went to your, uh, how he went to a Middle Eastern country, and he was talking to this very zealot, uh, zealous Muslim, and the Muslim said, you people in America have a big problem. Ravi says, well, what's the big problem? He said, in our culture, and he drew a circle with his hand, and he says, this is our faith, and he put a dot in the middle, and he says, this is our life, but he says, you Americans... You make this your life, and that dot your faith. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to re-examine our calling. And the Bible says we should seek to make this sure. And if you have a career that impedes on your calling, it's time you do some re-examination. You say, well, I don't do any type of thing that's evil or bad. Ladies and gentlemen, if that's your issue, if that's your circumstance, then what your problem may be is time. You need to make time a priority for God. You know, HMS Richards, who was one of the most busiest pastors, who was just so in tune with the Holy Spirit, this individual, you know what he said to his church one day? He said, I don't want anybody calling me until 1 p.m. Because I need to spend at least three or four hours with Jesus. He knew that his calling first and foremost was to be with Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to re-examine our calling. And we need to understand what is God calling us to? We ought to be people who when they see you, they recognize that person has spent time with Jesus. That person, he loves to preach the gospel. He's an evangelist first. He's a doctor second. He's an evangelist first. He's a teacher second. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us not to let the world impede upon our calling. Because success, ladies and gentlemen, is just so much as tool as anything else of the devil. And the devil knows how to crowd your life with success to the point, to the point where your calling becomes neglected. But God is calling us to re-examine these things. And if you're somebody who's thinking to yourself, well, wait, wait a minute, how then do I find something that God is calling me into because I want my calling to be sure, I want my calling to be first and foremost. What type of career do you choose? It's very interesting. Ellen White says in Education 267.3, she gives the best principles when it comes to choosing something like this. Look what she says right here. It's remarkable. We need to follow more closely God's what? Plan of life. Now watch three things, she says. To do our best in the work that lies nearest, to commit our ways to God, and to watch for indications of Israel. Providence, these are what? 
rules that will ensure safe guidance in the choice of a what? Occupation. Wait a minute, if you're somebody who's looking for a job, if you're somebody who's saying, I do not want my career to impede upon my calling because that is first and foremost, then you need to recognize these powerful principles that Ellen White says. She says, number one, do your best in the work that lies what? Nearest. In other words, the opportunities that have already been given to you, do your best in them. And as you do your best in them, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start recognizing potential areas where God may be calling you to. In fact, one day when I was, when I was in Weimar and I was going to school there, I was saying, Lord, whatever ministry you want me to go into, please show me. And I started getting all these opportunities to go preach. And I began to recognize that God was leading me into here to develop my talent. But as you do the work that lies nearest, God will develop your talent and he will begin to lead you into those areas. So the things that you already need to be doing, God says, do them with all your heart. Second thing is this, to commit our ways to God. In other words, every day you're laying all your plans at the feet of Jesus. Every day you're saying, God, I just want to commit this to you. And as you commit your day to God, the second thing, the third thing will take place, which will be indications of his, what providence. In other words, as you begin to do these things, all of a sudden, as you're just watching your whole life, you will begin seeing God opening up certain doors. And as he's opening up those doors, he is leading you by his providence. One of my good friends, he was going to school, and he was just praying about what to do, and he was being faithful to what God was calling him to do, and he said, Lord, I want to go where you want me to go. And all of a sudden, that week, he gets a call, a call from one of our good friends, and he says, hey, I'm at Southwestern, you should check this out. And my friend went there, and he absolutely loved that college. What was so remarkable, he ended up becoming ASB by uh, Prince uh, Prince. President, and he became uh, one of the top students, and he made a huge impact for Christ on that campus. It was the place where God was calling him to. He was watching for indications of providence. And as he was following these three principles, ladies and gentlemen, here, what she said is so powerful. These are rules that will ensure safe guidance of an occupation. Safe guidance. We should not be in careers that impede our calling. We should not be doing things or part of things that will cause us to break the Sabbath. Amen? We should not be doing those things that will put us in places where we have to compromise our integrity. And if those things are happening, then we need to stop and say no more. My calling is first and foremost. My commitment to Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're in a situation where you're just saying, God, what is the next step? You start following these three principles and God will show you what the next step is. He will show you what to do. Number one, do your best in the work that lies nearest. Number two, commit your ways to God. Number three, watch for indications of providence. What's God up to? And as you do this, surely you will see God open up doors. Ladies and gentlemen, we need not neglect our calling to be with Jesus and to preach the gospel everywhere. Amen? Those Mossad agents were so so determined to fulfill their mission. They said, this is our life, this is our calling, and they dedicated time, resources, energy, because they believed in what they were doing. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if we believe Jesus is coming back, if we believe that the gospel needs to go everywhere, if we believe that every time we witness, heaven comes a step closer, then, ladies and gentlemen, we need to do, we need to make sure our calling and our election are sure. If there is ever a time we need to re-examine the calling that God has for us, it is now. Can you say amen to that? This is the time that God is calling for us to understand those two principles of why Jesus called his disciples. So that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. I want to make this message simple. Because I believe sometimes we neglect the most simple things. And that is, if you are truly a citizen of heaven, you will be making sure your calling is dead on. That you are fulfilling what God has called you to do. The Bible says we are not to neglect our calling. It is first and foremost in our life. And if we have been doing that, God is saying, wait, it's time for you to stop right there and re-examine. Re-examine where you are at. God wants you to be faithful to Him. Amen? God wants you to be faithful. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, God, we just want to make sure our calling is sure. But the two principles, Lord, for our life has not been neglected by us. And that is to be with you and to preach the gospel everywhere. And Lord, if there are things that are impeding upon that, if we have lost those two priorities, oh Father, let us take this message as a message from heaven with the warning of love. Father in heaven, Help us to reprioritize our time, our resources, our energy. And when people see us and they know about us, that they will say, these people invest in the kingdom of God. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and committing yourself to humanity and coming here, leaving all of heaven to fulfill your calling, which was the redemption of man. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.